0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Amen. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to those of you in the room, and welcome to those of you online. I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And not only do I want to welcome you this morning, but I want to invite you to this evening... We've got an outdoor worship. Gathering happening tonight at 7 o'clock just across the parking lot, kind of on the northeastern side. So I'd love for you to come if you can. We had a great time last time scripture, prayer, song, devotional. Leah's going to share some thoughts with us. It's going to be really, really wonderful. And last time it was especially great because we saw some faces and some families that we haven't had a chance to see for a while. Folks who aren't quite safe in this room but felt they could come outside and so if that's you if you're watching online you feel like you could come outside and join us safely socially distanced that would be wonderful we would love to see you so bring a friend invite anybody we'd love to have you out there tonight and especially you visitors college kids I'm so glad to see a ton of unfamiliar faces in this room this morning so welcome to you all and I'm inviting you this evening at seven We're continuing our sermon series, The Word of the Lord, today, and our lectionary text is in Romans chapter 11, 1 and 2, and 29 through 32. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite. A descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that, by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you in prayer this morning and we give thanks once again for your word. We give thanks for your servant Paul we give thanks for your Holy Spirit that we believe has guided and inspired all of Scripture and has brought it before us this morning. And so we ask once again that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these texts, would aid us and guide us in our interpretation, proclamation, and most of all, in the way we live out your word in our lives, Lord Jesus. As for the gift of preaching, And it's in your powerful and wonderful name we pray, Lord. Amen. So, college is back in session. And one of my favorite off to college movies is Toy Story 3, which is not exactly a college movie per se. But in Toy Story 3, Andy, the owner of the toys, has grown up. And he's headed off to his freshman year. And it's the week of his departure, and his mom comes in his room, and she says, okay, anything you're not taking to college, it goes either in the attic for safekeeping, or it's going to the trash to be thrown away. So college, attic, trash. And so Andy grabs a a garbage bag, and he starts putting those beloved toys that we know so well by this point, you know, Ham and Rex and the Potato Heads and Jesse and Bullseye and the whole gang And he takes out Buzz and Woody, and he looks at them kind of nostalgically, and he decides to put Buzz in the trash bag with the other toys and actually take Woody in his box to college. And so Woody watches as Andy takes this trash bag, and he walks down the hall, and he pulls down that kind of attic door from the ceiling that comes down with the ladder, and he gets distracted. His sister comes by. He has to leave. So As he leaves, the ladder kind of retracts and kicks the trash bag of toys this way and goes, folds back up into itself and shuts. So Andy's mom comes by and she stumbles on the trash bag, not knowing the toys are inside and bound for the attic, and takes it down to be taken to the dump. She puts it down on the side of the street. Uh, Fortunately, Woody gets down there. He tries to save them, but the toys have already escaped. They're not whisked away by waste management. But, in a sense, the damage has already been done. Because the toys, try as Woody might to convince them otherwise, believe that Andy was throwing them away. The toys... I mean by all appearances they were in a trash bag and didn't know he was going to the attic they wind up on the curb with the other trash bag so they believe that Andy was rejecting them, throwing them away and try as would he might throughout the movie he can't get them to act in certain ways or do certain things because of their beliefs about themselves, about Andy and about the world and we're in Romans 11 this morning and At the heart of this moment, in this complicated, incredible, earth-shattering letter, at this moment in Romans 11, it really kind of boils down to one problem for Paul. It looks like God has rejected the Jews. God's people, God's chosen people, his covenanted special people, the nation of Israel, These are the people that God has planned through all of time to bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So, why have they largely rejected that Messiah? Paul is wrestling and struggling with this throughout lots of Romans, but especially in chapters 9 through 11. Paul is wondering what is God up to? Has the Word of God failed? Has God rejected His people? And so, excuse me, wow, (laughs) and so, wow, man, (laughs) need some water. So behind our exploration this morning is a couple of questions, and those questions at the back of our minds are, are this, what is the relationship of Israel to the church? And then secondly, what is God up to? What is the relationship of Israel to the church and what is God up to? And that's what we're gonna explore together in Romans 11 this morning. Beginning back in verse one. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I, thank you, Brad. (laughs) Excellent, thank you. (laughs) Has God rejected my voice this morning? Has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So, jumping straight into Romans 11 is a little bit like being airlifted in a helicopter towards the top of a mountain. Like the air is too thin. The altitude is too high. We've almost got to go back down for a second and kind of get acclimated again. So, jumping back to Romans 9, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, this was something that Steve Buck actually read, a scripture that he read in verses 4 and 5. It says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah, who is over all, God-blessed forever. Amen. I think this, this passage, setting up the argument in Romans 9, is a really good reminder for us, especially as mostly Gentile Christians in this room, probably mostly watching online, Gentile Christians. This is a good reminder because I think we often read ethnic Israel as this kind of foil for our enlightened selves. right? I think sometimes we kind of look at at Israel and say, yeah, look at that man-made religion stuff, and I'm so glad I can just kind of glide over that and, and get to just following Jesus today apart from Israel. Paul says, no, no, they're Israelites, and the gifts that God has given them They're irrevocable. They've got the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and and finally, the Messiah, Jesus, who is is born a Jew. And this is a complicated relationship between Israel and the church. The New Testament spills so much ink addressing this problem. And, And we know it's complicated because... Paul himself wrestles with this throughout the New Testament, not just in Romans, in all of his letters, right? If you think back to Galatians, this is early in Paul's missionary career, and he's writing to a very specific pastoral theological problem in the church in Galatia. And this is what he says in in Galatians chapter 5. He says, "...for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value." The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Fast forward to Romans. This is later in Paul's career to a different church addressing different problems, but still related. And Paul says this in chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. So different communities, different issues that Paul is addressing, they call for different emphases. And it's complicated, but I think we can affirm with Paul in Romans this morning that on some level there is something important and special about the Jewish people. There's something important and special about the gifts and the call that God has given to the nation of Israel. And so... We get to Romans eleven and moving down to verse twenty-nine, we see that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God and, and the Jews are a, a package deal, right? And so we have to ask, what does Israel mean for us? What does it mean to to follow Jesus in light of Israel? And what do these two thousand year old theological questions mean for my following Jesus today? Can't I just kind of glide over to my own time and place? What does Israel mean for us and why is it important? Well if you were to poll who is probably the most famous hymn writer in at least the English language. I think the name that would eventually rise to the top is probably Isaac Watts. You know Isaac Watts. He's basically like the Chris Tomlin of the 1700s. Thank you for your patience. He's like the Chris Tomlin of the 1700s. I mean wrote like 750 hymns. He probably wrote some of your favorites, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Joy to the World. Fantastic. He's he's called the, the Godfather of English Hymnody. And we can say a lot about Isaac Watts, but I think one of his projects, even though it started with good intentions, we might say ultimately had mixed results. And that was his translation of the Psalms. So, what he set out to do was to translate the Psalms in a way that would be singable for the church, you know, in a poetic fashion that would be helpful for hymns in an English vernacular. But what he ultimately wound up doing, and the way he went about it, is that he scrubbed essentially Israel out of the Psalms. So Watts would take the names of Israel and Judah, and he would scrub those out and instead replace in the name of Britain. And he would take out the Jewish kings in the Psalms and remove those and then edit in the names of the kings of Britain. And so essentially what he wound up doing, if inadvertently, was he wound up placing at the center of the Bible, at the center of the biblical drama, not Israel, but the British Empire. He wound up placing that British empire at the center of the drama of the Bible, that empire that was taking shape in the 18th century and colonizing the world. So just a couple of examples. Here's Watts' translation of Psalm 67. It's entitled, The Nation's Prosperity and the Church's Increase. Just reading a couple stanzas. He says, Earth shall obey her maker's will and yield a full increase. Our God will crown his chosen isle with fruitfulness and peace. God the Redeemer scatters round his choicest favors here, while the creation's utmost bound shall see, adore, and fear. And then in Psalm 60, speaking of Great Britain, right before this he says in these two stanzas, Lift up a banner in the field for those that fear thy name. Save thy beloved with thy shield and put our foes to shame. Go with our armies to the fight like a confederate God. In vain confederate powers unite against thy lifted rod. So what has happened subtly is that Israel has been replaced as, as the real history of God and his people by the British, right? What has happened is that Israel, the call has not been irrevocable, but it's been revoked. It's been given to the British people instead, and so their history disappears, Israel. And the danger with this is that when we try to forget Israel, it becomes very easy to map the goals and aspirations and dreams and even enemies of our people onto God. Right? It becomes very easy to map the goals and aspirations and actions and enemies of our people onto God. Not the God of Israel, but the God who is now the God of the British, you know, the God of America, the God of Germany. And so the danger in all of this, because of course we want good for our nations, we want good for our cities, we want good for our neighborhoods, because we're Christians, we want good for our neighbors, right? Love God, love neighbor. But the danger in this is that, and here I'm I'm channeling a, a theologian named Willie Jennings, is that when we organize God's story around our people, we distort God's mercy for all peoples. When we organize God's story around our people, we distort God's mercy for all peoples, right? We start with us instead of Israel. We, we nix them from the record, right? And so we, we try to shake the gospel loose from Israel and then wind up binding it to another regime. And so we stop singing the hymns of the God of Israel and we start hymning our nation. Or we stop fighting in the Lord's army against the works of the devil. And we start fighting the wars of our people against those they've demonized. Right? When we organize God's story around our people, we, we distort, we delimit God's mercy for all people's. But Paul says in our text that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He says, just as you, Gentiles, were once disobedient to God but have now received mercy because of Israel's disobedience, so Israel has now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, Gentile Christians, they too may now receive mercy for God has imprisoned all in disobedience that he may be merciful to all. So Paul has been wrestling for three chapters, if not the whole letter. He's been wrestling with this question. What happened to Israel? What is God up to? And he's been wrestling with their disobedience, with their rejection of the Messiah, but where Paul ultimately lands is this kind of elusive, mysterious, strange, incredible verse where he says, God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he might be merciful to all. He lands in this place because Paul remembers he worships the God of Jesus Christ, the God of the cross, and he remembers that for the God of the cross, failure is never simply failure. It always serves a greater success. For the God of Jesus Christ, rejection is never simply rejection. It always serves a greater election. It always serves a greater purpose because the God who can take the ugliness and death of the cross and make it beauty and life for the world, that is the God who can do unfathomable, mysterious, and surprising things. That is the God who imprisons all in disobedience so that he may show mercy as widely as he possibly can. So, where does Paul go from here? Well, Paul goes from this this tantalizing climax of these three chapters. And from this very place, he moves not to fretting over his people he moves to prayer and worship and hope. In verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Paul says, if you're struggling with God's story, don't fret. Worship and hope and pray. He says, if you're struggling with the relationship of Israel and the church, don't fret. Worship and hope and pray. If you're struggling with the relationship of the Old Testament to the New, if you're struggling with the relationship of the law to the gospel, don't fret. Worship and hope and pray. If you're struggling with God's mercy for all peoples, for his kingdom to come on earth in its entirety, for the waters to flood the earth with God's knowledge... He says, don't fret. Worship and hope. Pray. Because this is the God who does surprising things. This is the God with with this depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge and the God that from him and through him and to him are all things in Jesus Christ. Let us stand and praise that God together, church.